It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Kelly Filato, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Oh my God, I love you. You, you know, I just love your show and I love who you are, Laban. You know, and I'm really honored to be on your show. So thank you. Well, that might be the greatest response to any introduction I've ever given on the podcast before. <laughs> well, you just say your show is unorthodox, so what the heck? It is, it is. And this, and this is why we love people like you, Kelly, because unorthodox is my middle name. And I'm hoping it's going to be our audience's middle name today as well, because we have a ripping show for you. Kelly, I want to start off with a really, really interesting question, and I hope that you're in a position to answer this. And my question is this. What is your definition of an ugly person? Oh, you went deep right away. Oh, my goodness. What is my definition of an ugly person? Well, I'm going to give you the new definition of an ugly person. Okay, because, uh, you know, my story of me getting burnt as a burn survivor, and I always grew up as being the ugly person. And I remember as a teenager that I was being stared at, I was being teased, and people were calling me the Scarface girl. And I even walked past my teacher's desk and someone had drawn a picture and it was a circle with scribbles all over and it said Scarface girl. And I knew it was me, right? Because there's nobody else in my class that was Scarface. So to me growing up, an ugly person was someone who was like me, someone who was full of scars. And in fact, I used to think that everybody was more beautiful than me. And, you know, I remember growing up and thinking, well, someone who has glasses, all they have to do is just get contacts and they're no longer four eyes. They lose their label. Right? Or someone who's overweight just needs to go and lose all their weight. And they're no longer the fatty, fatty two by four, right? They lose their label. But me, I knew that because I was going for surgeries every two years and my scars weren't disappearing, I knew that I would always be the ugly Scarface girl. And so as a child, my definition of being ugly person was someone like me that was covered in scars. So my new definition, though, of an ugly person is, is a talk that I gave at TEDx. And when I did my TEDx talk, I wanted to prove that ugly could actually be a beautiful word. And so I came up with an acronym. And the U stands for unique. We're all unique. 
Every single person is unique in their own way. The G stands for gorgeous. We are all gorgeous people. The L stands for lovable. We're all lovable, but a lot of times because we don't hear it enough, we think that people don't love us. And then of course the Y stands for you. So the unique, gorgeous, lovable you is still beautiful. And still beautiful happens to be the name of my my one of my best selling books and my documentary about my life story. Damn, that's a way better answer than I was ever expecting. And I was expecting a really good one. Eighty <laughs> percent of your body at uh, two years of age, th- third degree burns. Yeah, third degree and beyond. I don't even know there was a beyond. Yeah, it doesn't it sound very good. Right to the flesh. How many surgeries now? I think I've had about forty. I don't know exactly because what happened is when I got burned as a two-year-old, they had me in the operating room every two days for four months. And then every two years until I was 20 years old, I would go back to the hospital for a month of my summer holidays and they would do more surgeries on me. And they needed me to grow taller so that they would have more skin to work with. And then about five years ago, I started laser surgery. And so they've been doing some laser surgery on my chest scars and a little bit on my face here and my neck. And there's a new technology out there. And basically what they do, Laban, do you know when they aerate the lawn, they pull out the chunks of grass and it looks like you have a bunch of dog poop all over your grass? (laughs) Well, they can do that with scars. So what they did was they would take the laser and they would shoot it into some of my scars and it would pull the old dead scar tissue out and it would allow new skin to grow and that was how I got more even some more mobility with my scars so yeah wow Wow. I I want to ask you a real interesting question if you could go back to the day before the burn happened knowing what the outcome was going to be and change the outcome of your life to not be burnt for 80% of your body at third degree and beyond, would you do it? You know, that is a fascinating question. And if you were to ask me that question if I was, when I was a child, I absolutely would not have wanted to be burnt. I wouldn't, right? I mean, I was teased. I was bullied. I was the Scarface girl. I did not my first kiss till I was 18. None of the boys wanted to dance with me. Uh, you know, I it, it was rough. It wasn't easy. And But if you would ask me now as an adult, and now when I get to look back at everything that's happened to me, it's not a tragedy, right? When you, when you think about, I, you know, got the Woman of Distinction Award. I got the well, now I'm up for the Entrepreneur of the Year Award, right? Like last year, Global Television named me as most inspirational person of 2020. I've got the medal from the Queen Elizabeth, you know. I've got, you know, I'm an eight-time, well, seven-time best-selling author. All of these amazing things have happened to me in the last 10 years. So when I look back, it would be horrible for me to say, no, I wish I didn't get burnt. 
because none of these incredible things would have happened to me if I didn't get burnt. So I believe that our less, our tragedies or our challenges that happen to us are meant to happen to us so that we can learn the lessons and we can teach other people how to love who they are or how to get through their tragedies. And I'll never forget my son, he was violated by a girl and he was only 14 at the time, no, 15 at the time. And what happened um, was one day he says to me, and he was really upset. He was suicidal and, you know, it took him a long time to get out of it. And so he said to me, mom, why did this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. And I said, you're right. You didn't deserve this. But did I get deserved to get burnt as a two-year-old? He goes, no. And said, and what am I doing about it? He goes, well, you're helping people. You're teaching people. I'm like, exactly. So maybe this happened to you so that some other young man can going to be able to come to you and you're going to be able to teach him what you did to get through this. And he goes, I get it. I get it. So that's why I guess, you know, what I'm trying to say is that I believe that we are meant to go through these tragedies so we can help other people. And we have a choice. We can either see them as a gift and do something with it, or we can use it to in our life to hold us back. I mean, I know tons of burn survivors out there that absolutely hate that they got burnt and they see that their life is over and it's horrible and there's nothing else they can do about it. And it's a tragedy and poor me. And I could be that way, but I choose to see the gift in my tragedy. And I choose to say, you know what? I'm going to help people. I want people to understand that just because you have scars on your body, it doesn't mean that you're not perfect and doesn't mean that you're not beautiful and doesn't mean that you can't have a great life. I mean, look at all the stuff I've done. And I've only done it because I took the step forward and made it happen. And you're just getting warmed up, Kelly. You are just getting warmed up as well. And it is so damned inspiring for me because what I see in the world right now, especially with what's been going on, is this victim mindset, this victim mentality for people that are in a position that you could say would be a thousand times better than what you went through. Like worrying about losing an income when they've got another income or worried about you know some freedoms being you know, temporarily taken away, which aren't great, but it's all that perspective. And I think I, I want you to I want you to share and I want you to Skype or gloat a little bit in a good way. I, I'd love for you to share some of the feedback from people that have contacted you from reading your books or hearing you speak or being coached by them, if you're happy to share. I would love to. One of the first stories that comes to mind is when I got to speak to a group of 4-H kids and they were older teenagers. So I think they're about anywhere from 17 to 21. And so I'm speaking about my journey and speaking about how I didn't want to live. Right. There's been lots of times where I just didn't want to live. And so I allow people to text me while they while I speak. So I got a text message and he says to me. Please don't acknowledge me. I'm the one that's wearing sunglasses. And the reason I'm wearing sunglasses is because I'm crying. And I don't want anybody to see me crying. He said, but you have helped me. He said, no, I've been very suicidal. 
And just listening to your story makes me want to live one more day. And I was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea that my story impacted people that way. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that I could impact people in that way. And so that is why I'm saying we need to share our stories because we don't know who we're going to help. I helped an 18-year-old decide to live. How incredibly powerful is that? If I wouldn't have told my story, he might have decided to go and commit suicide. That's, that's not right. We don't want people to commit suicide. We want them to find a reason to live. And that's why I think we're on this journey is to teach people why they should live and, and what we can do and how we can help people. And that, to me, is what life is about. We need to focus on the good in our lives, not on the poor me, I'm such a victim. Focus on the good stuff. I mean, I've lost a baby. I held my dead baby. And people are like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, but guess what? Now I have twin boys. I never would have had the twin boys if I would have had her because we would have stopped at having two, two girls. And so I could say, yeah, poor me, it's so horrible. I lost a baby. Or I can say, you know what? Here's the gift in that. I now have twin boys that I never would have had if we would have had her. This is so wonderful. And it reminds me of an amazing experience that's happened in my life just recently, Kelly, and it's a book that I that I was uh, inspired to read by a good friend of mine, uh, Vanessa Brewers, who's a uh, who's an executive coach and is an author as well. And she, in her book, she included a chapter or a, or a portion of the book from Brian. It was talking about there was a mother, and she had uh, children, and one of the children was a doctor. And instinctively, she said to the daughter one day, she said, darling, if anything ever happens to me and I'm, I'm unable to look after myself or I'm incapacitated in a severe way, I want you to, to put me out of my misery, to take my life. And she said, mom, I can't do that. I can't do that. She said, please, I insist. And then so she reluctantly agreed. And then only a few months later, this mother who had given her whole life, she'd never taken anything, she'd always given, given, given and just provided with her kids to her own detriment had a stroke, lost all her ability to move and to speak. And the daughter didn't honor her request to, to end her life. And for four years, this, this woman suffered in silence. And then she eventually passed away. And it was only uh, a few months later that God, whatever your version of God, reached out to the daughter and said, why are you so angry at me? She was furious. And she said, because my mother didn't deserve that. She did not deserve to go through that four years of pain. And and the spirit being God, whatever you want to call it, said, what I did was a favor. Uh, what I did, your mother was unable to receive her whole life. And in order for others to be able to give, we must be able to receive. So she received in four years what would have gone over another couple of lifetimes and this is based on the premise that we are these eternal uh, spirit beings that come in and enter the human form to to fulfill our destiny and our purpose. And when I, God, like <laughs> I said, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd laugh at myself hearing these kind of stories, but it just really resonated with me. And I was like, my purpose is to take 
everything that's happened to me that I perceive as being bad to use it as my own fuel and my superpower and inspire others so that they can go on and, and achieve what they are supposed to achieve. So what you're saying there, Kelly, it just really sends shivers down my whole spine. And uh, what a wonderful gift that you've given to the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's been many times where I've had to think, why? Why did I live? Right. At 18, I was wondering, why did I live or why should I live? Why shouldn't I just end my life? And I remember um, about eight years ago, I went through a really rough time and my my ex-husband started the divorce proceedings. And so I was only able to see my kids every second week. I got into a car accident. I um, what else? A friend of mine committed suicide. I had no money. I was completely broke. I had no speaking gigs coming up. Um, I paid three grand for a website and no, nothing was happening. And, you know, I was thinking, what, 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 what's up? Like, why am I here? And I remember um, being at the end of my bed and sitting on the floor with my iPad and I was Googling how to end my life. And I had three conditions. One was my kids couldn't be the one to find me. It had to be painless and it had to be final. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find a way. I just couldn't. And I thought, okay, so what's going on? And so I thought about my kids and I thought about each one of them individually, up three, and how guilty they would feel and how they would feel that they were being bad kids. Right? My mom would feel guilty because she didn't help me enough. My sister would feel guilty because she would say, well, why didn't Kelly just ask for money? We would have solved all her problems if that's all it was. Right. Like, and I just thought, I can't stand the thought that I won't be with my kids for the rest of their lives. Right. And so I thought, what can I do? And I said, I'm going to take one step, just one step. And I've, I've often heard of that where people would say, you know, if you just do one thing and go back to bed, you're fine. And I literally did that. I would just take, I'm going to do one step towards my business. And if I want to go back to bed, I'll go back to bed. But I ended up meeting a girl that used to be a coach or she, she is still a coach. And she says to me, Cal, I'm going to coach you. Normally I charge $20,000 to coach, but I'm going to do it for free. And I said, okay. I know, right? <laughs> I'm shaking my and, fist for those listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she says, I'm going to help you get out of this, this funk that you're in. And so we would have calls three days a week, one to two hours a day for about two or three months. It was like really intense coaching. And she asked me some, you know, some really tough questions. And one of the questions she asked me was, why don't you value yourself? I said, what do you mean value myself? Like, of course I value myself. I'm a speaker, right? Like my ego kicked in and my ego says, look, I speak to women. I help them love who they are. I speak to teenagers and I help them so that they want to live. You can't tell me I don't value myself. I value myself. And she's like, no, you don't. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, the reason I think you don't value yourself is because you're not making the money you want to make. And oh, I hit me right here, right to my core. And I'm like, damn it. And she's like, and, and she was right, because I had set a goal to make a six-figure income and I still hadn't met it. And so I was feeling like a loser. And she says, 
you know what, Cal, don't call me back till you know what value is. And I was like, fuck, what is value? Right. And she's like, so I'm thinking, okay, so if it's not money, what is it? Right. And I started thinking about how I helped a guy um, become a best-selling author. And as a result, he was teaching other people to be best-selling authors and everybody's getting their stories out. Right. And then I thought about how I reconnected an, an old high school buddy with his family. They thought he was dead because they told him, don't come back until you're sober. So he moved all the way down to the U.S. instead of Canada. And they had no idea that their son was still alive. They hadn't seen him in 23 years. And I reconnected them. And, you know, I thought about how my book, uh, No Rick, No Reward, this one, is being used in Africa to teach kids about self-esteem. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And I wrote all these things down in third person. I sent it to my coach. And the next morning, I read it. And I said to myself, who is this chick? I've got to know her. And it was me. It was me I was talking about. And she, so I, I talked to her and she goes, I think you finally get it. Your value is not in how much money you make or don't make. Your value is in your acts of service. It's at the things you do to help other people. That's where your value is. And so that was such an incredible lesson for me because I just had no idea that my value had nothing to do with money. Because in my family, I'm, I'm not a millionaire whereas my siblings are, and I'm the oldest. So I'm thinking I should be taking care of them. They shouldn't be taking care of me, right? I should be taking care of them. And so it really hit me that my value has nothing to do with money. I'm not sure if I answered your question. but anyway. you, uh, you couldn't have answered it more beautifully if you tried, Kelly. And the timing of this uh insight for me personally is is absolutely ast- like astonishing and uh, and it's a wonderful lesson for anyone listening as well because what you've done in my humble opinion is by conquering the this mindset about being a victim and taking ownership you're now living your purpose right you are living uh, aligned with your core values and belief system and i think when you do that well, i know when you do that it it, it creates its own energy and then the universe just conspires to help you with this stuff. And if you tried to put a dollar amount on the one family that wanted their son back after 23 years, like you think about the money that people would pay a ransom to have their child back. What value could you put on having your son back? And then what value could you put on the, the countless children in Africa and and the boy who stopped killing himself and all this other stuff. Like you're talking infinite amounts of, of dollar amount if you could even quantify it, which you can't, right? And then the universe just gives you back a, a portion of that and all of a sudden you're, you know, in the running for entrepreneur of the year <laughs> and, a, and, and a best-selling author and a, you know, an executive coach and inspiring a whole generation of people, you know, and I think that's the whole wonderful lesson here for people listening. This is the benefit. This is the financial benefit of owning your demons, owning owning whatever bad things have happened to you. And you just are the the epitome, in my opinion, of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and, and that's the whole thing. And my goal is for other people to see that in themselves, not me. See it in yourself. See that your, your story is your journey. And, and we're meant to live a journey. Like if, if we were just 
you know, didn't have any problems or any situations to deal with, how boring would that be? So right? boring. We need to go through these challenges so that we can help other people. So I want to ask a question, and this will apply to a smaller percentage of the listening audience. And it's anyone that has been physically disfigured in, in whatever capacity that might be, whether it be burns or, you know, car accident or having acid thrown on their face, whatever whatever led you to, to listen to or to consume this this interview today. What What is it about the loving yourself that allows you to be loved that's so important if you are to meet a partner, to meet someone, to have an actual relationship with someone intimate, intimately, et cetera? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know how to answer that because, well, because, you know, I've been in the dating world for 10 years, right? It just, um, I've had men say to me, um, yeah, your scars would bother me. I can't date you. Um, I had a man say to me, he texted me and he said, you know, you're, no, he said to me, do you like to kiss? And now at this time I knew that meant something. <laughs> I didn't know exactly what he meant, but I wanted him to clarify. And I said, uh, so then he said, well, do you like to kiss all night? And I'm like, okay, now I know where you're going. Now I know what you want. And I said, yeah, I do. But I kind of like to get to know the guy a few times before I decide if I want to do that or not. And he texted me back and he said, you know, you know, beauty queen, right? And I was like, oh, oh my God. Like, are you, are, are you stupid? Right? Like, I don't like calling people stupid, but I'm like, <laughs> but seriously, you want, you want to get in my pants and you tell me I'm no beauty queen. Like, really? Like, you honestly think that's going to make me want to like sleep with you? Like, really? And I, I read the text message three times over to make sure that's what he really said you know, you know, beauty queen, right? And I'm like, seriously, dude, like, dude, like, how can you be so stupid to say something like that? And so I'm laughing, right? I'm laughing. And I said to him, you're right. I am no beauty queen in your eyes, but I'm beautiful in my own eyes. And that's all that matters to me. Click, gone, right? Like, I have no time to waste with people like that. Right? Like, I don't give a shit. Like, clearly, it's not going to go anywhere because I'm strong enough to know that I'm not going to be with a man who's going to, you know, degrade me in the first three text messages. Right? Like, seriously, I was just, I was really quite annoyed. And then I thought to myself, okay, why did this happen? And I'm like, you know what? I have some great new speaking material. This is awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, this is awesome. I've got another story to tell. You know, it's like, I'm not going to let some guy treat me that way. I mean, if this is the way he's treating me now, this is just not going to go anywhere, right? So, you know, it's interesting because I also look back in school and I think about why didn't I have a boyfriend in school, right? Or why is it that the guys I like didn't like me? And it wasn't that they didn't like me. It was that, you know, attraction is a big thing, right? Like if you're not attracted to someone, you're not attracted to them. You, you can't force that to happen. So that was a lesson that I had to learn was that it's okay if someone's not attracted to me. I'm not attracted to every man that I see, right? So, so that was one of the lessons that I had to learn. 
Um, the other lesson that I had to learn is that um, a part of me believed, because I was married for 24 years, a part of me believed that I was, I settled because I, I didn't believe that any other man was going to want me because of my scars, right? And so I believe that we shouldn't settle. And I believe that the right person is worth waiting for. And, you know, Laban, I think I was telling you earlier before we started videoing is that I reconnected with a guy from high school and now we're together. And it's funny because we talk about how we knew each other in high school, but we never, ever talked. Never. Like we were in the same circle of friends. You know, um, we should have talked. It's not like we didn't have any opportunity to talk. We just never did. And I know from my perspective, I was just super duper shy. So I didn't talk to, to guys because I would always turn red if they talked to me. Um, and then he was, he was dating a couple of my friends. And plus he was, a, he was a jock. So he was on the hockey team and all that. So we just never really connected. So it's so cool that, you know, Facebook suggested that we should be friends. And now 38 years later, we're together. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. But what's so cool is that he tells me constantly that my scars don't matter to him, that he loves me for who I am. And it's never, ever been an issue, which is so cool because I've struggled with that with, you know, in the dating world. It's like, well, why am I not being asked out on dates? Is it because I'm too busy? Or because I'm a speaker, they're scared of me? Or is it because I'm not pretty enough? Right? Like, why is it that I'm not being asked out on dates? And that was why people said to me, oh, well, you got to go into online dating. And that's when people will start asking you. And, and sure enough, I did get asked out. But um, it was just, I don't know. I mean, I've been on way more dates than, way more like first dates than you know, like, I think I've been on, I don't know how many dates I've been on, but in 10 years, it's been a lot. But you just kind of know that it's like, no, this isn't going to go anywhere. And, you know, I had guys that, come on, you want to be my, my girlfriend? I'm like, no, I just, you're Mr. Right now. You're not Mr. Right. And so I think it's worth waiting, waiting for that person that is Mr. Right, not Mr. Right now. So, Yeah. <laughs> The, the, the wonderful words that your new partner uses, was there any point in the early, early part, just from some legacy experiences, you know, with your, with your ex-husband and some ex-guys that you might have dated, that the language that he was using was unbelievable for you to hear at that time? In, in who I'm with now? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's unbelievable. It's, um. Like he tells me every day how how beautiful I am. Every day, right? They, there's just no question that he just loves and adores me. And that was what I wanted in a man. And I still remember an old friend of mine saying to me, okay, Cal, it's time for you to do your list. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, list, you need to do a list of everything you want in a man, everything. And he said, I did it with my current wife and there's 60 things on my list and she met 58 of those things. And so it was so funny because I told him about my list and he's like, okay, well, I want to see the list. And sure enough, I think there's like 40 things on my list. And, you know, there's like two things that he's, that he's not on my list, 
Right. What are the two things? What are the two things? Well, he's a smoker, so and I'm not, right? Um, but he wants to quit, and he has quit before. And I think the other thing was um, technology-wise. He's not super good on computers and stuff like that, right? And that, to me, is not a deal-breaker. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they're like silly things. Like, it's not... You know, anyway. <laughs> today's today's your lucky day, Kelly. And today is the lucky day of anyone who's listening that's a cigarette smoker that wants to give up. And the the operative part of that sentence being wants to give up. There's a book, uh, it's an audio and it's a and it's a um a printed book as well called Alan Carr, or he's the author, Easy Way Stop Smoking. And it's not Alan Carr, the British comedian, it's another guy. Uh, easy way stop smoking and Alan Carr for those that are interested uh used to smoke when he was alive a hundred cigarettes a day for a long time oh my goodness right so you're basically lighting one off each other and he he gave up and the book is based on neuro-linguistic programming there's no patches there's no drugs you just read it and then you lose the desire to smoke he had given up for 30 years before he ironically died of lung cancer. But the book is the most wonderful book. I had personally used it about seven years ago, and you lose all desire to smoke. And I think that's a catalyst with a lot of addiction, certainly in my own experience, learning how to remove any desire to want to do the negative thing that it is, whether it be drinking or drugs or gambling or philandering or negative self-talk or cigarette smoking, if you can remove that desire, then you're free of the tyranny of, uh, of um, what's the word I'm looking for, of uh, cravings. That's the word I'm looking for, cravings. I don't crave or desire any of those things anymore. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. And, you know, I remember you telling me about that book before and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to look it up for sure. He, but he he's got to get to a point where he wants to. That's that's the the first thing. But it sounds like um, I mean, gee, gee whiz, Kelly. <laughs> like yeah. like when you think about how far you've come in your life, um, you know, a few dirty darts here and there, as they call them down in Australia, <laughs> lung darts. Um, that's what he calls them too. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, but I I will speak on behalf of our audience in saying that we are so happy for you. Uh, and this is really inspiring for anyone listening that that feels like they aren't beautiful, they aren't ugly. It all comes from within. And yeah, you got to deal with some people that you know we are hardwired evolutionarily to to look at symmetry and to look at people that are that are genetically good breeding material. But I think there's another layer as well that exists that uh, I've certainly had relationships in the past where I developed my a deep attraction for someone as I got to know them. And they were someone that on the surface of it, initially, I wasn't really attracted to at all. Just keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. On, okay, on developing. On just a, an, a growing attraction rather than like a pow, like physical lightning bolt. Well, you, well I, think, I think having that physical attraction is important, but I think that um, – how do I put it? I don't know how to say what I mean. I, I I think it's important, but I think it's also important to do other other stuff. Well, okay. So for example, here's some of the things that we do. 
And we, we noticed that just like a month ago that every night before we go to sleep, we talk for like an hour to two hours, no matter how tired we are, we, we, we talk and we're like, holy, like we spent all day together. Why, how can we still find another hour or two to talk? And then, so we find that really fascinating. And then the other thing we do every night without fail is we always say to each other, what was your favorite part of today? And it makes us think about all the good things that happened during the day. And, and then the third thing we do is we have a journal now. So we both have journals and we can write in each other's journal, whatever it is, because we were finding that so many incredible things were happening and we were so happy and we laughed so much. And we're like, you know what? We don't want to forget these memories. So let's journal about them. And so that's something that we do is we journal about all these happy things. And so it feels like every time, like every day, we just love each other even more because we're doing all these positive things. So. You know what I smell, Kelly? I smell an eighth book. An eighth book? No, an eighth, an eighth book. I smell a book about dating with disfigurement or how to meet the person of your dreams when, you know, uh, something along those lines. What do you reckon? Hmm. Well, you know what? Maybe we have to collaborate because I remember you telling me the story about how many dates you went on. It was what, 50 <laughs> dates or something? 150 in two years. 150 dates. So I think we should collaborate and do a really <laughs> cool book together because then you can have the men's perspective and I can have the female perspective. Do you know what? That would That'd be a kick-ass book, I tell you what. It'd be raw AF, and uh, I think really needed. It's it's um, it sounds like an absolute minefield trying to do trying to date and meet people these days. And uh, the closer we go back to an organic way of meeting people, I think the better. Um, they've commoditized the the art form of dating, and I certainly felt that when I was in the in the throes of you know, swiping left and right, it was a commodity in many cases, which sounds really terrible. But um, that's what happens when you sort of dehumanize the whole experience. You know, what you're dealing with is a a soul and a human being and someone who can love and change the world. And uh, you're right. Maybe we should do this book, Kelly. (laughs) What a great idea. You're right about how we need to get back to that realness. But the one thing that I found is that when I was dating, I felt like I, people weren't asking me, like people that, that I knew weren't asking me out. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why won't people ask me out? But then I'd go to the dating site and I'd get asked out all the time. So then it's like, well, what is it? And it was interesting because even going back to, you know, my guy Rod that I'm with now, when he first asked me out, I was like, okay, is this a date or is this just two high school buddies? getting together because we hadn't ever talked. So I was confused about what is this? And it was funny because I, I talked to one of my guy friends and I said, okay, he's asked me for dinner at his, you know, his house. Is this a date or just two high school buddies getting together? And he goes, Cal, I think, you know, the answer It's a date. (laughs) So it was confusing for me because I knew if I was talking to somebody on the dating site, I knew that that was a date. 
Right. Well, this is this is a really important distinction. I think really important for men that are listening to this to be clear with their intentions about what it is that they are doing, because a lot of the issues that that uh, stem from a lack of being able to be direct and confident with an approach with women, um, certainly in heterosexual dating, I'm, I, I can't really comment on same sex stuff, right? But if you are intentional, Kelly, you know. I would be honoured or I would love to take you out for a drink. Or um, like I went up to Anna and I, my my darling fiancé of three years now, and I went up to her in the streets of Melbourne and I said, excuse me, but you are stunning. And I wondered if you'd have a drink with me one time. Like there's no doubt in her mind, at least, what my intentions are. It's not a, is this a friendship thing? It's like this guy is red-blooded and he's ready to go. And uh, and so the, all the all the, uh, the all the clarity was right there. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because after about a month of that of us getting together for dinner at his place, it was interesting because about a month I said to him, "Okay, I'm just curious." Okay, and this is a text I sent him. I'm just curious what your intentions are. Are you interested in just being a friend? Are you interested in being a fuck buddy? <laughs> Or is, are you interested in something more? I'm just curious. I'm happy with all three, but I'm just curious. Well, he, that threw him for a loop because he's never been asked that before. And he thought I was asking, do you want a commitment? And that's not at all what I was asking. I said, look, what are your intentions? Right? Like, I'm just trying to figure out if there is something more or if not, I'm happy with any of those. Um, but we've had lots of talks about it and and he's like yeah you're right it was like intention right so I said I don't, I, I don't know <laughs> no it's a, it's, a, but, it's a really really great distinction was, sorry you go yeah no it, but it became very clear that he was into me because of you know some of his emojis he was texting and and that kind of thing right so then I was like okay he's into me okay so Let's just be patient, right, and see where it goes. So, yeah. And this is just a learning thing for both sexes, I think, because as my confidence grew within my own internal beauty, right, and as I – because it was only when I was able to really truly love who I am is that is that I met Anna and she was able to to love me, right? And, and so that freedom that it created within me to be overt in my – you know, I wasn't holding back in my interest and in my desire because uh, Anna made me really wait. Like even to kiss was like five or six dates, which is not something, you know, I was Don Juan DeMarco on my online dating stuff. I'd like, you know, slaying women left, right and center, which sounds terrible and it is terrible. But I, this is something I was used to and I was like, well, something's different about this. And I became very intentional about how I felt about her and she with me. And um, it's a great lesson for anyone that's ambiguous about, you know, and they're, and it's usually the feeling is that they, they feel that feeling of intention, but they're unable to free themselves and just go with it. And what they don't understand is that your person on, at the receiving end of that will, will take that and then they'll reciprocate it in a way that you can't even really fathom. Right. Yeah, it, it's been a fascinating journey. It really has been, right? And 
yeah. And there's lots of times where we thought, you know, why did we wait so long or why didn't we get together sooner? And, and we, we've been in so many different positions where we could have met sooner, but we just never did. And so that fascinates us too, is because, you know, we hung out at the same bar and never saw him. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, it is very fascinating. The whole dating world these days is, is very fascinating and yeah, it's cool. Well, you're fascinating, and I know people listening are fascinated by you. Where on God's green earth can people find you, Kelly? Well, um, they can find me all over the place. Um, you know, I'm I'm mostly on Facebook. That's my favorite place to hang out. So you can go to you know Kelly Woodhouse Falardo. You'll find me there. You'll find me on my website, which is kellyfalardo.com. Or if any of your listeners are interested in a free gift that I have, they can have a free 30 minute call with me. And also I have a free blueprint on how to publish their first book. And so that they can get at um, www.7stepsauthor.com. And uh, that's where they can access me there too. And all of those wonderful links will be listed below and in the show notes as well. Kelly, do you have any concluding thoughts for our audience today? Oh my God. You know, what if um, I conclude every single podcast with a quote that I made up. And the quote says, dreams are meant to be found, not tucked away in dreamland. Ladies and gentlemen, Kelly Falado. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training where I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.